This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Another spring training edition. I got a chance to hook up with the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers and truly one of the good guys in our game, Dave Roberts. And we've been trying for, Cody's been trying for so long to get Ken Rosenthal. And we hooked up with Ken as he was down at A's camp for not only MLB Network, but also for the Athletic, also at A's camp, Pedro Gomez from ESPN. And then we talked with Eno Saris from The Athletic. We're going to start with Dave Roberts, a World Series champion with the Red Sox in 2004, been with the with Dodgers for years now, uh, 2016 to where we are here in 2020. He was a 2016 National League Manager of the Year. And, of course, I got to ask him about the greatest stolen base maybe ever in the history of baseball. And I have a little personal history with him as we played in high school against each other in football and then college in baseball. Here is my conversation with the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, and I got to think this spring has been very special, especially since that big trade with Boston. It's been special, and every spring is obviously different and exciting, but obviously when you acquire two players like David Price and Mookie Betts, it certainly uh, – infused a lot of positivity and excitement in, in our club, uh, the entire organization and Dodger fan base. And for me personally, just to get to watch these guys work day in, day out and integrate with the guys that are already here, teammates, coaches, it's been a lot of fun. You know, when I'm looking at your guys' lineup, it's like incredible. We're talking about you have an opportunity to probably be one of the best lineups we've ever seen in baseball. We do. We do. And, um, you know, it's not just the one through eight. It's, uh, you know, one through 13, 14, 15 as you go through a major league season. And the thing, Chris, that I love is the way that our guys prepare each day uh, as far as understanding what the pitcher's trying to do and their approach to that particular pitcher. And when you get in the batter's box, just the grind mentality. And every at-bat is a grind, and there's a purpose, and trying to win every pitch. And that makes it fun for me as a coach. You know, I think about expectations. And as a player, you had expectations, obviously winning a championship. I I love when teams have those expectations. And when that goal is to win the World Series. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, not every team can say that every single year is that the goal is to win the World Series. And um, 
So that expectation comes with responsibility. And the tough thing is how you go about it each day, because obviously that's the goal. But and when you look out, but the challenge for us is every single day is to get better and to win it, to get it more on the micro level is to just win one baseball game. And, you know, today we got the A's and, you know, we're going to go out there and try to win a baseball game. And I think that for us is, you know, whether it's spring training, the regular season or the postseason, there's a certain brand of baseball and the style that you play. Bob Nightingale, I had him on my show earlier today, and he said he thinks this is a World Series preview today. Obviously, the A's with a lot of confidence, back-to-back years, winning 97 games. But I really get the sense they're kind of like your club. that they, they see it, they feel it, and Bob Melvin is a great skipper. And these are two really good teams going after it. It is. They are two really good clubs, and I really have a lot of respect for Bob Melvin. I don't really know him very well, but what he's done – you know, how he gets his guys prepared and how they play certainly is a reflection of, you know, the organization, him and his coaching staff. And it's a it's a very talented position group. And then the young guys with some really good arms. And, you know, Matt uh, Chappie is one of my favorite players to watch. And Semyon had a big year. And, you know, you, you've got Olsen at first base and they got go along with those big arms. So it's going to be a fun year. And uh, fortunately, we don't get them in the regular season. We might see them in October, though. Yeah, and, and I think about all the good young players in the game. And you just mentioned some of them. You throw in Bellinger. Isn't it amazing these guys are so young and they come up ready? They come up ready to take your lunch. They're ready to play. They do. And that's the great thing about this game is that in so many ways, the game has evolved and changed. Um, but I do think one of the great things about this game is there's so many, uh, so much more young talent. And, you know, when you, we got a guy today, Gavin Lux, who just turned 22. He's a special player. And the makeup, the head, the, uh, the curiosity is so much fun to watch. And now you kind of layer that in with some veteran players that we have, which makes our group special. But around baseball, it is fun. And as a young fan watching the game, when you see all these young, athletic young players, it, it, it's shows and speaks to where our game is at and the future uh, is in really good standing i think of bellinger in three years he's been rookie of the year he's been mvp we were going over his stats the other day 111 home runs just how special can he be as because defensively offensively spectacular uh, you know what it remains to be seen how, how special he can be and, and we'll get to to know that i'm going to get a front seat to watch it which has been great but i think with cody the maturation as far as understanding that the attention to detail and how to prepare and his routine every single day is the same and that for me um, is the next level which he's really got to and is going to continue to grow because early on you know there's a cat and mouse really not knowing who he is they don't know him he doesn't know the pitchers it's talent but now when the adjustments are taking place he's got to go to his routine and Justin Turner, I think, has been very pivotal in, in Cody's development. Let's end on this. Of course, you have one of the most famous stolen bases in the history of baseball. How great is it when people bring it up and that memory for you is so special to ever be etched in the history of the of, of playoff baseball and then, of course, leading to the World Series? It's very humbling, and I, I think that for me to play for a storied franchise, uh, the Boston Red Sox, to win a championship there, bring a World Series back to New England in, in 80, first in 86 years, it's great. It's something I hold in high regard. Um, I think it speaks to me being a good teammate and being prepared. I was, in, I was a bench player at that point in time and just being ready when called upon. So that is my story. It's, I don't talk about that very often, but I think the point being is you just never know and you got to be ready when called upon. resonates with any player. So uh, thanks for bringing that up, and uh, hopefully I'll get a championship in a, in a Dodger uniform too. Well, I'm always rooting for you. Good luck in the 2020 season. Hopefully we'll see you in October. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me.
Always great hooking up with Dave Roberts, truly one of the good guys in baseball. And then, which was pretty funny, I was just walking around the stadium, and I ran into Stan Kasten, truly one of the great executives in sports history. You're talking about a guy who is the president of the Los Angeles Dodgers and part owner. He was the president of the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals. He was a general manager in the NBA of the Atlanta Hawks and also a president in the NHL of the Atlanta Thrashers. I don't know how many people have been the top dog in MLB, NBA, and NHL. He's had an unbelievable career, and the fact that I just ran into him and got a chance to talk with Stan Kasten was pretty cool. Here is the president and part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Stan Kasten. We appreciate you stopping by. How was life for the Dodgers in 2020? Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. We have a team that we think is going to be pretty good again. We've got an exciting expansion and renovation of Dodger Stadium happening. And, of course, we're going to have the All-Star Game, so we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to be down for the All-Star Game, and having been to Dodger Stadium so many times, uh, just I can't wait to see what this renovation is going to be like. And now you can walk all the way around the stadium? Yeah, it's going to be different. We have new elevators and escalators to, to help you move around. We have an entertainment area that's two acres of stuff. The back of the pavilions will be wide open, an open boardwalk with a drink rail for the entire width of the field. Uh, and then just a lot of new foods and entertainment and video, and so it's going to be very cool. It's always real special to host the All-Star Game when a franchise gets it. Well, I, I lasted in 2000 in Atlanta, but the Dodgers haven't done it since 1980, so it's long overdue, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And when I think about the trade you guys pulled off with the Boston Red Sox, wow, what your lineup now looks like with Mookie Betts is really tremendous. Well, that was uh, something that worked for us because obviously we love Mookie like everyone else does. We were able to deal from positions of strength because right now we had some depth in our uh, minor leagues, and so it just worked for us. You don't get those opportunities very often, so when it fell into place, we jumped at it. And a veteran starter in David Price where you got to think his numbers are going to be, in your guys' division with a lot of pitchers' ballparks, his numbers will be better than what he playing at Fenway. Oh, we're sure of that. He... Uh, I don't know if he's an ace of number one right now or not, but he doesn't need to be. Uh, the way we mix and match pitchers and, and relievers and starters, so uh, we think he's going to give us a lot of good innings. doesn't have to be a 250-inning horse because we don't use pitchers that way, you know? <laughs> so, uh, no, we think he's going to make a big contribution, and both of them have already made really good contributions in the locker room. They're both veterans, they're both winners, and you can't have enough of that around. Isn't it amazing how baseball has changed during your great career, front offices and the technology and the analytics, how just things have been so different? Well, just from 10 years ago, and, and when friends of mine who are out for a year come back, that is the first thing I tell them, said, you will not believe how much has changed in just a short period of time. When I got to L.A., we had a great front office, and we won the division the first two years, but I could see the wave coming that we need to get better at, so we had to make change to catch up and then hopefully to, to jump ahead. And right now we feel we are where we are, where we want to be, but we haven't won a World Series yet, and that's what we really need. 
I know that's what L.A. is all about this year. And let's end on this. I mean, just in this game alone, looking out on the field, we see Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Cody Bellinger, Gavin Lux. The young talent in the game is just tremendous. These guys don't come up just to fit in. They come in to, to take your lunch, as I like to say. Oh, I think that's right. I know certainly in our organization we stress that. We want you ready to be an all-star when you get here. The guys with that kind of talent. And uh, we also have a veteran clubhouse that welcomes guys, that lets them become stars right away, like Seeger, like Bellinger, like Bueller, like Lux. Um, so, you know, we have a good thing going right now. Um, we need to win that one last game of the year. And then I would tell you we're happy, so we're not happy yet. And hopefully we see in October. Yeah, that's really possible. I saw a tweet today that said this could look like a World Series uh, preview. That would be great with me. Stay on the West Coast. That would be great. <laughs> my, my last couple, we had to travel way too far, including Boston. This would be way better. Hey, I really appreciate the time, and good luck to you guys in 2020. All right, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Ken Rosenthal has been one of the top columnists and now broadcasters for years in Major League Baseball. You read him in The Athletic, and you also see him on the MLB Network. Here is Ken Rosenthal. Well, it's always great having you on. Love the work in The Athletic and, of course, on MLB Network. It's second to none. And what do you think of A's camp so far? Well, I just got here, but there's a good vibe here. Actually, there's a good vibe in 30 camps right now. It always <laughs> amuses me. I was telling my wife last night, I say, everybody's happy. Yeah. But these guys have actually a reason to be optimistic, and they've got a great club. We know that. And the division is different because who knows what the Astros are going to be. And I don't mean it from the sense of, oh, well, now they're not going to be banging the garbage can. They weren't doing that last year, and Major League Baseball found they weren't doing anything last year. So the real question to me is, how do they react to all that's coming their way and all that they're dealing with? And we don't know the answer to that. So even on the merits, the A's had a talented enough team to possibly overtake them. Now it just becomes an even more interesting equation. Yeah, because you look around, no matter if we're talking about the NFL or we're talking about the NBA, NHL, whenever there's chaos around a team, usually they don't fare well, and there's going to be a lot of chaos around the Astros right. this year. Now, it could go either way, Chris. And the other way could be, hey, we are going to show the world we are good, and this was not who we were, well, it was who they were for a time, <laughs> but... We are this legitimate team, and we're going to prove it. And Dusty Baker certainly has a lot of motivation himself simply because he's never won a World Series. So, again, I am eager to see how it plays out. I don't know if anyone has any idea. This is unprecedented, the whole thing. So we'll just see. And I think about for the A's, sometimes you need to fail to learn how to win. And, you know, they win 97 games. It was kind of a shocker to everybody. And then last year was like, well, let's see you do it again. And they did it again. And now it's, I got the sense there's more confidence around here that they think they know they now how to do it and how to win and go on a postseason run. I agree with your premise there. And on the flip side, you look at teams like the White Sox and the Padres and the Reds, teams that seemingly or want to be on the rise. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen them win yet. And until I see it, I won't necessarily believe it. And it's not a criticism of those teams, but... There's a step that you have to take, that next step. Now, these guys have taken that step. So then the question becomes, okay, what can you do if you get again to October? And in the famous words of Billy Bean, the postseason is a crapshoot, and that's true. And do they have the depth to withstand all that? I don't know. But 
certainly the talent they have is immense, and they have a chance to do some special things. And the American League's really interesting right now because we don't know what's going to happen with the Red Sox. A lot of injuries with the Yankees. Twins are going to hit a lot of home runs. Rays are kind of like the A's. They're going to be really tough. We're not sure. Can the Angels get 27 outs on a nightly basis? And then there's a lot of rebuilding going on. So the American League's pretty pretty wide open. I agree with that totally, Chris. And I wrote recently about the Rays. It was right after somebody with the Yankees got hurt, maybe Severino. And basically my point was, all right, there's an opening here. Red Sox are not as good. I don't care what happens. <laughs> they don't have Mookie Pets. They don't have David Price. They might not have Chris Sale. So they're not as good, period. Um, the Astros, we don't know. The Angels, let's see them pitch. So all of these factors are in play. There's an opening for someone. Now, the day I wrote about this, I picked Tampa Bay because their depth is superior. And they also have the system to make any trade they want. Um, but could that team be the A's? Of course it could. Could it be the Twins? The Even the Indians, if they get things going their way. So, yeah, the league is a little more open than perhaps we've seen in recent years yeah you mentioned some of your articles and i think the one thing that you know for all these years being in radio where everybody said less is more i think what the athletic has proved to us if you do quality journalism it doesn't have to be short it can be well thought out it can be longer and i'm so glad because that was the same thing in radio they're like shorten your interview so well if it's a good interview and podcasts have shown us that like what we're doing with ace cast if you do quality people like the length and i'm so glad the the athletic kind of brought that back to journalism well i really appreciate you saying that and i totally agree with you and at the time that foxsports.com where I was eliminated writing there was a lot of websites doing the same thing were a lot doing the same thing and there was this talk that the written word is dead and people don't really read I didn't buy it then and I think we have proven that that premise was garbage just wrong and I know it's not for everybody who might not want to pay I, I get that we understand that but our subscribers generally are quite happy, and it's actually too much for them. It's too much for anybody. I can't read everything we have every day. <laughs> so I'm overjoyed by it and the success we've had and some of the stories we've been able to do. There, there are some incredible things just in baseball. Almost every day there's one really good or two really good stories, and on a really good day there might be five, and that's just baseball. And there's the NCAA basketball and there's football and college football. I, so I think we have shown it can work, and it's kind of one of the more fulfilling things, honestly, in my career, because of the, all the talk, no, nah, no more writing, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, our buddy Eno Saris from the Bay Area, and we, we, we actually had him on yesterday, but we have him on quite a bit, and we talk about the deep dive he's allowed to go in, in depth, and... And the people in baseball, it's kind of like what we've done here with A's Cast, where everybody in baseball is supporting us because we're the only ones doing it. And so everybody's really good to us. But it's like you're able to do things that you weren't able to do before. Well, that's a good point. And what's interesting about that is some of the people we hired, again, just on baseball, I didn't know how good they were because they weren't in a structure where they could let it go. 
and write longer or write features. They were on deadline. They had a game store to do a notebook to do all these different things that are required of a daily newspaper or website writer. Some of these people we hired surprised me, and it, I felt in the way I should have known, but there was no chance for them to shine. This place, our place, gives them a chance to shine. And talking about the team the A's are going to be playing today, and you start looking at the lineup, and you throw Mookie Betts in that lineup, they're just like, it could be kind of an all-time lineup. I mean, what do you think about the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yeah, I love them. We talk about depth. They have that. They have everything, it seems. And the only thing they haven't done is win the World Series since 1988. And they've had teams good enough to do it for whatever reason, different reasons each year. It hasn't happened. This is a year where you can point to and say, okay, barring injuries and the usual craziness that might occur, they've got a club that is certainly capable of doing that. In fact, I believe it was Pakoda had them at 103 wins and no other National League team above 88. And that's, that's a dominant-looking projection. <laughs> Let's end on this. Happened to the Dodgers last year. Happened to the A's last year, happened to the Yankees, where you start relying so much on your bullpen. By the time you get late in the season, your bullpen's burnt out. And I know, uh, you know, I watch you guys loyally on MLB Network, and you have with Brian Kinney in the discussions. But at some point, we're wearing these bullpens out, and they're, they're done in October. What needs to happen to change that? Well, maybe let's start his pitch a little deeper into games. And Brian, of course, would throw out my logic there and say, well, third time through the order. I understand third time through the order might not be as good, but it's a cumulative effect on a pitching staff. And as we've seen, bullpens do wear down. And why not? They're pitching three and four innings every night. It's, it's, it's difficult to do that. So I don't know if the pendulum will ever swing back on that, but it should. Yeah, I mean, the way that, the way they've looked down the stretch, a lot of these bullpens are so tired and, and – uh, Hopefully we'll see a little more change, a little more innings. Keep up the great work with The Athletic. You're, you're fantastic on MLB Network. We love it. Thank you so much for coming on. We truly appreciate it. Chris, thanks so much. Thank you. Pretty cool hooking up with Kenny and from one broadcaster writer to another, Pedro Gomez, who used to work in the Bay Area back in the day, has now been in Arizona for years. He stopped by A's camp and interviewed everybody for ESPN, so we wanted to see how Pedro was feeling about the 2020 Oakland Athletics. Pedro, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? I am well, Chris. Sorry about yesterday. No, hey, hey, you were in that room for a long time yesterday. You, you, you. Uh, we were waiting on guys. <laughs> yeah, you, you put you put in a long day, but uh, just how different is it for you when you look at the way the Oakland A's are now and the way they're run versus back in the day when you were covering them? You know, the A's have always put an emphasis on the players, so they they may cut corners when it comes to other things, but not when it comes to the players and the comfort of the players. So I don't really see a lot of difference there in, in the sense of how the players are treated. Um, you know, back in the day, look, I, look when I covered the A's, it was Dave Stewart, Dennis Eckersley, Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Carney Lansford, Walt Weiss, Dave Henderson. I mean, it was Terry Steinbeck, Bob Welch. It was, you know, the, those, those rock star A's. And every player that came to the A's always said, how comfortable they were. First of all, rather than wear suits on the road, they were allowed to wear jeans. Now they were owned by Levi Strauss at the time, the Haas family. 
and I think that had a lot to do with it. But they always, uh, you know, there was always something about the comfort for the players. So, and and you know what, they've always had these spurts where, yeah, they they might be down for about three or four years, but boy, then they all of a sudden spike. And I think we're in uh, one of those eras right now where they're spiking again. I'm so glad you brought up that about the 89 team in the late 80s, early 90s, because, you know, we've been doing a lot of celebrating our history lately and brought those guys back. So when I've had Dennis Eckersley on or Stu or Jose, and you and you talk about how they were just, they everywhere they went, they were the biggest names in baseball. As you said, they were rock stars. And it's hard when you look back, if you look at how the A's are covered today versus back then, they were like the, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It was amazing. It, it was an amazing time in A's baseball. It, there is no doubt. I, I feel like I was so fortunate to be able to cover that A's club from that era because it, they were, first of all, they were so much bigger than everybody else. Look, now today, a lot of players are bigger than they were in the late 80s. But the A's almost started that revolution where everybody was jacked or tall or big. And, you know, they would come to town for a three-game series at Cleveland, at Boston, at Detroit, wherever. And the series was already won by the A's just during warm-ups before the first game of the three-game series. They were so intimidating. You could see the opposing players looking across the field and saying, holy cow, look at what we have to play for the next three days. Um, and it was just superstar after superstar. You know, it was, it was star in the batting order from one through nine, whether it was, you know, Dave Parker DHing or, or whoever was DHing, whoever was playing right field, you know, which was usually Ken Seiko, Dave Henderson in center, Ricky in left, Carney at third. Walt Weiss, and then Mike Bordick at short. You know, you had Mike Gallego or Tony Phillips at second. You had McGuire. You had Steinbeck. And then, you know, the rotation with Stu and Welch and Mike Moore, uh, Kurt Young. I mean, they were just stacked in the bullpen. You know, Tony is the guy that kind of invented the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, with his, which, which was Gene Nelson, Rick Honeycutt, Dennis Eckersley. They each had one inning to, to go through. So it cut the starters you know, from having to go eight or nine innings. And they just were so good. And let's not forget they averaged over 100 wins a season from 88, 89, and 90, which was pretty – that's pretty amazing when you win more than 300 games in a three-year stretch. And now we're in a very good period once again with with a lot of good young core players as the A's have won 97 games two straight years. I I wanted to get your takeaway uh, from Melvin and the players – what's your sense after you've got to talk to all these guys, their confidence heading into 2020? Uh, I would say it's sky high. Um, I would say that two years ago, you know, they, they kind of were, they woke up and, hey, we won 97 games. We're in the playoffs. But they, that was, you know, a, a big leap from the year before, from the 2017 season. Uh, now they've won 97 games two years in a row. They know they're good now. They don't have to wonder if they're good and you know you've got such great dynamic young arms in guys like Luzardo or Manaya, and uh, you know you've got Liam Hendricks at the back end of the bullpen they are uh, they're primed and I think they could be one of those under the radar type teams that you know everyone's going to focus on the Yankees and maybe even the Twins because the Twins had a great season and they went out and got Josh Donaldson 
Um, so, you know, you're looking at that. You're looking at the White Sox kind of making a, a resurgence. Uh, but, of course, we know that it takes more than just saying, oh, they're going to be good. You have to actually do it. So that's there's still questions with the White Sox. Tampa Bay's rotation is amazing. Um, so Oakland could be one of those clubs that kind of almost in a sense they, they might be ignored nationally. And at the end of the season, you could wake up and see Oakland with 100 wins staring down, you know, and, and saying, okay, we won the American League West and we're ready now. We, we know how to play in October after losing two straight wildcard games. We're not going to let that happen again. That was the sense that I got in talking to these guys yesterday. You've covered some of the greatest moments in this game. So you've been around. It's chaos, but it's chaos that's positive. For the first time, we're going to see something that's utter chaos, and we've never seen anything like what's happened with the Houston Astros. So as someone that's been around stuff like this, what do you think the season is going to be like for them? I think it's going to be difficult. I think they're not going to – look, as much as everybody or some people might say, oh, once the season starts, this will kind of just fade to the background. It won't because every city that the Astros go to – they're going to hear it on every trip through. And there's just no ignoring it. They, they might find some solace at home for half the season. But when they're on the road, I don't care what city they're in. It could be Kansas City. It could be Detroit, you know, clubs that lost 100 games. It could be Baltimore. Whoever's in the stadium is going to remind them of what they did. And, and look no more than yesterday I don't know if you saw the, uh, you know, ESPN had the all-access game between the Angels and the Cubs, and they mic'd up Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. So Rizzo's at the plate talking to Jessica Mendoza and John Chomby in the booth, and while he's in the batter's box, while the pitcher's getting ready, he said, I need someone to bang something for me so that I know what pitch is coming. Like, this is spring training having fun, and he's bringing it up. This is something that is not going to go away, and it's going to be – it's going to be difficult, I think, for those players because they're going to get tired of it, but the fans are not going to let them forget it. Yeah, we even saw Trevor Bauer giving his pitches away to the Dodgers yesterday. And this, yeah, and, yeah. and like you said, this is not going away. And I and I know we're going to try and pack the house and get real uh, loud when they come to Oakland because obviously we're one of the teams that complain to Major League <laughs> Baseball about this. We're one of the teams that have been affected by this. It's just – how did you feel about the discipline, and how do you feel about how the Astros handled themselves after the discipline? Well, oh, Chris, they're going to be there at game four, five, and six, don't forget, of the season. Yeah. They go to Oakland early, early, early in the season. Their first road trip is Oakland. And the one thing about Oakland and the Coliseum is there may be only eleven or twelve or 13,000 people there, but it sounds a lot louder. You can hear a lot of things. Or if there's 35,000, obviously, it's the, you know, the energy level. But either way, Oakland fans have been always part of a group that lets the opposition know that they're there, no matter how small or large the number is. So it'll, that'll be interesting right there out of the gate for the Astros. In terms of you know, the punishment and, and the reaction, I think, I think I look no further than the reaction of the players to gauge the disappointment that no players were suspended. And I fully recognize the fact that the only way to get to the bottom of everything was to offer immunity. I understand that. And they were able to get, I believe, for you know maybe 80, 90% of what really was going on. I don't know if it was 100, but they were able to get quite a bit. 
because they did offer immunity. So part of the trade-off is nobody's going to be suspended. But the counter to that is that now players are really upset, really upset. And I think they became, okay, the, you know, the punishment was handed out well before spring training, and Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch lost their jobs three or four weeks before spring training started. But once the Astros got to spring training and had that introductory press conference, the, the vibe that I got from talking to many, many players is they're acting like victims. They're acting like somehow they're not responsible for what went on. And that has really, really gotten under the skin of the majority of the players that I have spoken to. Let's end on a positive. And, you know, we know the CBA is coming up in two years. And we do not want labor strife. We don't want any type of stoppage. And I think what we've been seeing in the game ever since the 2018 World Series was over in Boston 1, we've seen so many contract extension for young players. And we're now hearing there could be one coming out of Milwaukee, and it would be about nine years, $250 million for Christian Yelich, who is a superstar player. To get a, to get a contract like that, in a small market, to me, is good for the game. And the fact that we have so many guys making money today, I'm really hoping that everybody's going to look around and go, work stoppage, no way. We're all making too much. Well, and I believe that that's what both the Players Association and Major League Baseball want. That nobody wins in a work stoppage. Nobody. The game loses, the players lose, the owners lose, everybody, because of the stain that it leaves. So I personally believe that a new CBA will be agreed to before, well before this one expires, possibly sometime during the next calendar year, 12 months or so. Um, I don't think we'll go into the 2021 season lame duck wise with this CBA. I think something will be agreed to before the 2021 season begins. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I, part of what the Players Association is going to want is the fact that they don't. They don't want veterans just being pushed aside for because they make two or three million dollars a year for somebody making five hundred and sixty. Because the veteran adds so much, and I know that analytics don't agree with that principle always. But I'll give you a good anecdote. Brandon Woodruff hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw in the NLCS two seasons ago in twenty eighteen. He gets in the dugout. He is sky high. He just hit a home run, a pitcher, off of Clayton Kershaw. Everyone is like, you know, just jumping for joy inside the dugout. And a certain player went up to him, grabbed him, and said, listen, I know you're sky high right now, but you've got to sit down. You've got to relax. You've got to slow your heartbeat down because you're going to have to go out there in a few minutes and get three outs. Slow down. I don't think a $560,000 Major League minimum pay player is going to do that. That was Curtis Granderson who did that. And that's the value that sometimes a veteran offers that does not show up on any analytic sheet. And you are so right. Hey, Pedro, we love your work on ESPN. It was great that you were here yesterday interviewing all the A's. And total respect for your career. And let's do this again soon. Absolutely, Chris. Enjoyed it. Also stopping by A's Cast Live. He's one of our best guests that we have on A's Cast Live. Eno Saris from The Athletic. So, you know, with Eno, we're not only going to talk baseball, but we're going to talk about something that also is a great pastime, beer. Here's my conversation with Eno Saris. Eno, how are you, buddy? I'm with you, man. 
Yeah, I, I'm reading. Seven runs is, is a ridiculous rule. Yeah, and I'm reading. I mean, it's just you got twenty six. If you have a twenty six man, basically, just if the guy can pitch, guy cannot pitch. Uh, just uh, they're just overthinking it because now the Angels they potentially could have two two way players. Mm, yeah, with Jared Walsh. Yeah. Yeah, you know the one thing is though, if you don't put any language like that in, you know what some team would do? They'd have like fifteen relievers. Yeah, well, the one guy we were thinking about that this would have been perfect for him, and I think he would have been very good at it because I actually got to play against him in college. When when you played against Mark Kotze, he'd go three for four off of you, hit a jack, and then he'd come in from center field and close the game out at Cal State Fullerton. It would if if people were into this back in the day, it would have been interesting to see if Mark Kotze could have done it. Yeah, yeah, Jake DeGrom uh, did that. He was a shortstop in college uh, and came in off to, to, to close games. And you know what? That's actually how I would use Otani. I mean, I guess uh, if you can get 150 innings out of him, that's better. But uh, we're not sure we can get 150 innings out of him. And how awesome would it be if he, like, hit two jacks and then closed the game out? Yeah, that would be pretty – I mean, the guy's fascinating. <laughs> and and – and, and he can he's he can do it all too because he's really fast. I, I, that was probably the most yeah. shocking. I mean, we knew he could pitch. We knew he had power. The most shocking thing for me was about how fast he was. When we look at the American League West, and you're looking at all the chaos that's going to be around the Astros, but they still got a lot of talent. You look at the A's coming off back to back 97 wins. The Angels feel they got uh, they can hopefully outscore you. We're still kind of trying to figure out the Rangers. We know that Seattle's in rebuild mode. How are you viewing the ALS going into 2020? I think it's probably the second uh, toughest division or the toughest division in baseball this year. Um, you know, the only thing, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to say toughest with quotes because I wouldn't say that the teams in the National League Central are as good as the teams in the American League West, but top to bottom, that may be a tougher division just because they're packed in together tighter. Uh, when you're talking about the Cubs, the Cardinals, uh, the Brewers, uh, you know, and the Reds there, that's, that's a pretty tight grouping. Uh, but, you know, I think that those are the two going to be the two hardest divisions, and uh, you're gonna, you may see someone win it with uh, 92 or something. I know that the Astros won a ton of games last year, but you have to think that this will weigh on them in some way. And... Uh, not to mention, like, they're going to get hit by some pitches, and some of their stars may may just miss some games because they're hurt because they got hit by a pitch. All right, today on The Athletic, I see your article. It says, what's more important for a pitcher, command or stuff? So what's the answer? <laughs> it depends. No, um, the, 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 the real answer is stuff is more important for results. Uh, but if you want to be a starting pitcher, there's a minimum level of command. Uh, that might that might uh, that might resonate with the sort of old school. I think that sounds like something that that it might be a truism that people have heard before. But like, there you know, if you don't have good enough command, you're going to be a reliever, no matter how many pitches you've got. Yeah, you're, I mean, if you don't have command, your pitch count. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna. I mean, that's that, that's part of the problem with some of these guys who are five and dive. You don't throw strikes, and you're going, or you're a big strikeout guy, and you're going to a lot of two, two, three, two counts. That pitch mm-hmm. count's gonna that, that pitch count's gonna get up on you quick. 
I think that's actually part of what's happened. Why we're having more five and dive guys, and why we're having more long counts, and have more strikeouts, is that teams, for for the most part, have decided that stuff is the way to go. That's why you're seeing the average fastball velocity go from like 89 to 93 in the last decade. So they're chasing stuff. There's only a few teams out there that really prioritize command. Um, and I think, you know, actually the A's are one of them. That's one of the ways that they pick up guys like Mike Fires, uh, Tanner Rourke, you know, guys that are useful um, and, and, and don't, don't cost as much. But, you know, if you want to turn the lineup over, Tanner Rourke actually just said something really interesting. He said, if I don't have good command on my slider and I don't throw it exactly where I want to throw it and they spoil it, now they've seen my slider and they've probably seen one of my better sliders. Do I throw it again? You know, like there's, they're gonna. They're more likely to be able to hit it the next time because if you missed your spot a little bit, they get to see it once and they get to time it. So you know, command and stuff are intertwined. So you're never gonna really be able to be like, aha. But uh, the the thing that was really eye-opening to me was you could predict if a pitcher was a starter more by command than by stuff. A couple questions I want to get into with you is about the bullpen. And you know Brian Kinney well. He comes on our show. He loves talking about bullpenning, but. Bullpens are being overused right now, and I talked about it with Ray Fossey about, you know, you look in the playoffs and the Yankees and the Dodgers bullpen, they were shot. They were burned out. The more you research it and the more innings we're seeing pitched every year by bullpens, what needs to happen to try and keep a bullpen somewhat, I'm not going to say fresh, but not burning a bullpen out by the time you get to the postseason? You know what you need? You know you need a bunch of uh, you know near ready young arms. Something like the Padres have, uh, something almost like what the A's had last year. Now Puck and Luzard are going to be in the rotation. Uh, but remember what it's like to call up a Puck or a Lizardo late in the in the in the season and be like, "Wow, you guys haven't seen this guy." <laughs> so they haven't seen him. They aren't as fresh. They can they can maybe pitch pitch multiple innings. It's part of what the Brewers have done, what the Padres might be able to do. If you have a lot of young arms that you can option up and down, you can kind of play the game, hide a guy, keep them fresh. Uh, you need more than the eight or so guys that you're gonna that you kind of go to war with in the beginning. You need to kind of think who who are my you know nine through thirteen guys. You know the A's two years ago, their bullpen was lights out, and then last year it wasn't. And we see this all the time in baseball. Why do you think it's so hard to have consistency with a bullpen year in and year out? Uh, two reasons. One is you're trying to predict what a reliever is going to do off of a small sample. Um, so just look at the kind of relievers that pop up or go down. Like think of Liam Hendricks' career. Like there's times when you would have been like, he's toast, you know, and then like a month later, whoa, what is this guy? <laughs> um, so like, you know, I think just there's the random variance that have, happens when you're only throwing about 50 innings, 60 innings a year. But the other thing uh, that I think is interesting is that when you now think about command and stuff and which type of pitchers end up in the bullpen, it's guys with funky mechanics. They don't have much command. Uh, you know, their they're, they're pitches go in and out. Maybe their second pitch is there or maybe it's not. And so that kind of stuff leads to one year you say like, oh, my command is here, I've got it, I'm healthy, I'm good. And the next year like, ah, oh, crap, I lost my slider or I did this or this happened. So um, I just think that's what happens. I think Lou Trevino, for example, is a great story. First year he comes up, lights out, everyone's like, oh, my God, look at this rook, he's crazy. Second year, you know, he adds another pitch, he loses the command, he's having some trouble. I bet you this year Lou Trevino has a great year. 
Uh, we'll take that. And you mentioned Liam Hendricks. <laughs> it, 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 Liam Hendricks is the craziest story, right? He's DFA'd. Then he's starting yeah. the then he's starting the wild card game. Then the next year he's an all star. And then this year, yeah. we, we we saw him the other day on the field. I said, "You're on the cover of the media guide." Two years ago, you were DFA. Now you're on the media guide. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and like when he was a starter with the Twins a long time ago, he was struggling to crack ninety. <laughs> so like, you know, it's been a crazy story for him, and uh, and he couldn't be happier for him because he's such a nice guy. But you know, it's uh, he's kind of represents the ups and downs of being a reliever. All right, we always ask you because you're a beer connoisseur, and we had your winter beer, but now we're into spring. What is the spring beer for Eno Saris? Ooh, you know, um, I was just in Tampa, so I'm not, I'm not sure that the the listenership can get there. Uh, but it's a type of beer that's uh, perfect for what's happening right now. Uh, you, there's a saison. You can. It's called a mixed fermentation saison. And so what you do is you kind of you brew a saison and you put it in oak for a little bit. And what you get out of it is a fresh tasting, slightly tart. It's kind of sour-esque, but not really. Just a, a real nice spring beer. Um, you know, Green Bench in Tampa had it. I think that uh, there's some brewers that do something like that. Santia Darius comes to mind uh, locally here uh, that, that kind of plays with that, uh, you know, tart and, and fresh. Yeah, because you're not really going a really strong hard beer in springtime, right? No, you kind of want to, you know, you know, kind of like, I think a Saison in general is pretty cool. I mean, Saison, for people that want to kind of, uh, have tried like Belgians and never liked an IPA. A saison is a way, or if you never liked a sour before, you could start with a saison. That kind of uh, gives you the feeling of uh, of a sour without being sour, and, and you might be able to go from there and kind of be a crossover beer. But saisons are are pretty cool beers. You know what I've really noticed lately, because I am an IPA guy, is uh-huh. you're 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 either in or you don't like it at all. It's, it's like one of those styles of beers that there's no middle road there. You either love it or you don't like it, and you want no part of it. And that's, what's weird about that is it's the biggest it's the biggest um, style of beer. Like it's the weirdest. Like there's there's all kinds. There's milkshake IPAs. There's sour IPAs. There's crisp IPAs, West Coast IPAs, dank IPAs. Like, there's a lot of different, like, hazy IPAs. There's a million different types of IPAs. Like, when someone says they don't like an IPA, I ask them, you know, what beer, what do you like? And I and I try to find them. I Sometimes I find them an IPA they like. I mean, because it's, they just, maybe they've had a bitter IPA, and they think, oh, all IPAs are bitter. Um, and I think that's not necessarily true. Yeah, and they're English IPAs. Uh and I think about there's some that have high IBUs, some that have low IBUs. It is it is interesting. I love the style. It's kind of like a, a canvas, like a different brewer has a totally different idea about what it should taste like. You know, you are the best. When you uh, when you coming out to Arizona? Uh, should be next week. I, I hope that all this uh, craziness about the coronavirus doesn't uh, doesn't keep me grounded. But I, it should be next week, and I, I can't wait to get out to camp. Always appreciate the time, and, you know, we'll always be promoting you on The Athletic. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Dave Roberts, Stan Kasten, Ken Rosenthal, Pedro Gomez, and Eno Siris. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 